welcome to our series on accessibility in therapy in collaboration with Tangent Mental Health Initiative. In this episode, we have allied professionals explore with us how an ideal intersection of disciplines beyond psychology could shape mental health care in India. Our speakers also fold these conversations into reimagining what the therapeutic space would look like at the meeting point. Our host Ankita is in conversation with Aishwarya Srinivasan, a career and workplace strategy coach, mental health researcher and PhD student examining ADHD careers and support in the workplace. Their practice in mental health and neurodiversity is focused on multi-level and systemic inclusion. As a researcher, Aishwarya is interested in exploring questions at the intersection of identity, mental health, culture, narratives and bringing in transdisciplinary perspectives and learnings. Also in conversation is Ahana Ghosh, a mental health worker, supervisor and the co-founder of Tangent Mental Health Initiative. In the last couple of conversations that we have been having in the podcast, we are slowly also trying to look more at the idea of shifting from a very sterilized or sanitized idea of care to expanding what care means really. Through those conversations, we have also then been trying to speak more about the idea of interdisciplinary care. So I wanted to start off today's conversation with this question. What does interdisciplinary care mean to you? Aishwarya, would you like to start off by sharing a little bit on that? Sure. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm going to give you a little bit of context about what interdisciplinary care has looked like for me as a recipient and as a provider. As a recipient, I think interdisciplinary care was integral to how I navigated mental health for myself and then how I navigated what support structures looked like. I think it started from the sort of baseline of even just different modalities of therapeutic intervention and support, which I had the access to knowing about because I had my undergrad in psych, but I wasn't a practitioner in the field, so didn't really know how it would look in practice. But It started with just having the opportunity to, over time, work with different kinds of therapists. I worked with an ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Practitioner. I've worked with a CBT practitioner. And then I moved and did psychodynamic and relational work and I've done narrative work as a recipient. That's been very useful. In the middle of this has also been pharmacological sort of intervention, which comes from interdisciplinarity, we sort of know to engage with, which is the intersection of mental health and like therapeutic psychiatric alliances. And I found all of this quite useful, but I think where I end up coming from also as practitioner and recipient is as a coach and how that has changed how I view the role of mental health and support and care in different contexts. So as a practitioner, I'm aware that I tend to bring in mental health into the space because I don't think you can have a conversation about careers or neurodivergence without acknowledging mental health. And to do so would just be silly because we tend to put so much stock into both aspects of identity in this context. So if you're neurodivergent and you realize that it's probably something you're sort of so intrinsically aware of and you just have the language for it recently. And if you're talking about your career, it's such a deep-seated part of your personal identity that there's no way mental health care doesn't come into coaching work. The boundaries of this end up looking different. And I think that's a very interesting conversation to have. But I think I do better work and I'm a better coach 
because i make sure mental health can exist in this space and i don't know if my work would ever feel as meaningful or reach people in the capacity that it does if i used a singular modality or discipline to channel my work taking this question forward to you ahana as somebody who is a mental health practitioner bringing in these identities of coming from a personal stance of a personal identity as well as from the perspective of a practitioner who's had the opportunity to grow their professional ideologies as well what does then intersectionality and interdisciplinary care look like in your therapeutic work what i want to also bring into this is that more than my professional identity i think my understanding of care and support has been significantly shaped by my personal experiences and that's probably also where so much of my professional identity was also i think in some ways filled with so far has been you know about really sort of getting into the depths of this dilemma that i've been you know sort of dabbling with for a long time that is there an intrinsic understanding of care and support that i have that i can bring to my work or is there an existing idea of care and support that exists within the realm of what is professional and clinical and is that something i need to adopt and use and practice in my work the way i understand intersectional identity and care is that it's this inherent idea it's the clashing the weaving and the coming together of so many ideas around what care can look like and what support can look like and how it also continues to evolve over time for me and to respond to this question strictly as a professional would also mean that to acknowledge that even my understanding of what care and support looks like as a mental health worker has been shaped tremendously not just by my training but has been shaped by people i've actually worked with it's purely shaped by conversations i have with the people i consult with in my work sometimes it looks like a question in as many words as what does care mean to you or how would you like us to do care in this space with one another thank you also bring up a very interesting point because it's a question i see myself asking in coaching spaces as well which is not in this form because i'm providing formally what i'm doing is providing support and not care but my question then gets phrased as how are we going to be present with each other in this space and how would you like us to hold this space together and i know that questions like this which have like fundamental understandings in sort of everyone has an opinion everyone has a thought about it everyone has ways they want to receive and show what this looks like and so keeping that question at the beginning then allows us for me to scaffold the whole conversation and bring in the identity aspect you mentioned and then sort of the intersections of all of that because then it can all exist under this larger umbrella which holds and keeps together and what was coming up as a question for me then that like on paper the two the professional identities that the two of you hold they are different on paper but the work involves blurring some boundaries the work involves leaning into some aspects of each other's work so what do you think then should between different disciplines can look like when it comes to interdisciplinary care work can i give my quickest example with i think yes. even my work with ahana specifically when i realized we're going to be working together for this it was that i immediately took i think i had this like little handbook of coaching psychology but like immediately took a picture of the table of contents and sort of went you see this you know how much we can talk about right here each chapter we should talk about that and i think 
that's where sort of allyship roots itself for me, which is the joy of bringing in different perspectives. So allyship for me has been this unabashed joy in these spaces to be able to reach out to a professional and go, hey, I know this isn't your background, but I think this is a really neat thing to think about. I found that when you think of allyship as shared responsibility that you need to fulfill, that you need to be there for, and you need to look at everything through multiple lenses, it sounds really exhausting. I'm going to be really honest, because if you have to have like 30 people in a room to have one conversation, it sounds like, when are we going to have that? How are you going to find 30 people sitting in that room? But if you look at it as like joy and curiosity driven, which is not how do we solve for this and how do we fix this, but how do we show up in better ways for each other? It shifts what any of this can mean and what we can do. As a practitioner, it's just unbridled curiosity and joy to sort of be like, there are so many disciplines I can learn so much from and so much I know so little about and I'm never going to know it all, but I can know people who know more about the thing than I do and just talk to them and that will make a difference. So yeah, that's what allyship looks like for me. Just, just curiosity and joy and being there for each other, even through the frustration and sort of going, your profession tends to do this and I don't like it. That's okay. I think those emotions should be allowed to exist in these spaces because if you don't address them, how do you move past them and move to the conversation you actually want to be having? So, yeah. I agree so strongly with the idea of, of feeling that sense of unabashed joy and curiosity, but also this idea of being with each other and just being there for each other and supporting each other through this process of allyship. Cut to my first year, second year as a junior psychologist working at a clinic. And I had the privilege of also working at a space where there were occupational therapy teams, speech therapy teams. There were doctors and everybody was working sort of under the same roof. And I remember I was working with this young person and we were having conversations around anger with this young person, right? And it is so difficult because at that point in the sessions, we're struggling to sit in one place for longer than five minutes, right? So I'm leaving the sessions feeling a sense of loss and feeling a sense of confusion that I don't think I'm being a good therapist at all. I don't think this young person even enjoys spending time with me because he comes, it's a small closed room, we sit, we, we jump around, we play Cluedo for a while and then and then we just jump around a lot. And the way I'm looking at it is that we made no headway. So one week, two weeks, three weeks, we are not making any headway. This is also me at a point where I felt like as a therapist, it's my agenda to make sure we're having hardcore mental health conversations. I have to be goal-oriented, I have to move towards a particular outcome and all of that is still very much present all around me, right? And with that nervousness, I'm arriving at supervision also, trying to really split hairs. And my supervisor is constantly asking me to think about, just ask these questions if you want to, if you want to answer to, if you want to understand his anger, ask about his anger. I'm like, yeah, but how do I ask? Like how, the how of it, right? How do I do it? During that, I had the privilege of also sitting next to an occupational therapist in the staff room. And I remember one of these days I was really frustrated. I was like, oh, can you believe like I'm getting stuck in this one point? And we started discussing this. And this, this colleague of mine said, have you considered sensory integration? So, you know, in occupational therapy, one of the most influential theories we use is of sensory integration. What you might be noticing are concerns around regulation. It has nothing to do with resistance. It's not because the child doesn't want to sit with you. It's because they are struggling with regulation. There's a lot going on in their minds and their bodies. They don't know what to do with that. 
have you considered regulation and bringing in sensory activities to think about how you want to have this conversation differently and i was like okay so this is where i will ask you this question that can you teach me what you're talking about and i think this was that moment where i know for a fact that my colleague showed me incredible kindness because they handheld me through what's their bread and butter what they sort of eat sleep and drink for breakfast this was the first time i was entertaining the idea from a standpoint of oh wait what if i have my session in the occupational therapy room and not in the therapy room which is usually the assigned room for psychologists and like what if i have it here what if i use the the bolsters the ball pool the the mattresses the the toys that are there and i think on my feet i creatively come up with we to have a conversation where there is movement right and my colleague and i we sat when we created a plan we created a structure we created a way to have this conversation where we integrate regulation into the session plan we bring in co regulation as an idea into the session plan as opposed to us constantly feeling like oh if the child doesn't calm down i can't have this conversation so we tackled it that way and i remembered the movement and i remembered how it opened me up to so much and the thing is that i still strongly believe i would not have been having conversations the way i proceeded to have with that with that young person in therapeutic space had it not been for this colleague so i know that allyship looked like that one conversation on that day when i felt like i've hit a dead end and i don't know how to proceed from here for me from that point on allyship looked a lot like just having these conversations and also the idea that we don't necessarily have to gatekeep and hold information as professionals that if i have these cards i'm just going to keep them to myself and i'm not going to show it to you and you know this is my work and that's your work it doesn't necessarily have to look like 15 people working on one thing because each person has a specific area of expertise that only they know and nobody else knows it can look more diffused than that people can just speak to one another share amongst one another like it's like a giant potluck of ideas and like everybody gets to just put what they have on a table and everybody can take what they need from that space we have been talking about what has been possible for us so far and what are spaces that we have had to create along the way and so kind of taking that thread forward i think a question that i had for both of you is that what do you hope for in the future what more can this look like how can we continue to expand on this joy that comes from transdisciplinary care and allyship between professionals and between individuals who are a part of this all right i think very very honestly for me this answer starts from what's going to sound like a ruder place i suppose but like it feels heavily contact driven for me at least india is resource poor in the mental health context and i think when i'm imagining the future like there are things that would give me joy and things that spark my curiosity in conversations that i would love to see happen but it's not it's a need we're way past the point where we can sort of go oh we'll stay within these rigid 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 boundaries and these silos and i'll only do this for and like 10 years ago not even like talk to allied professionals doing this work because they won't understand where i come from and we can't afford to do that anymore we don't have enough like people on the practitioner side to keep doing that and to keep that up 
because the divide is not getting wider as a consequence but the divide is getting wider in fact people who need services and people who are able to sort of the number who is actually able to access it so i think for me this answer starts from a place of it needs to be happening as of day before yesterday and yes it would give me joy but it's also like it's necessity driven at this point to address the gap that exists so if i'm imagining 5 years 10 years into the future i'm hoping against hope that this pans out because it needs to happen but when we look beyond that and then eventually get to the place where we can address this in even imaginative ways i suppose it would look like sort of going ano resource sharing and capacity building are like words we like to sort of use and they sound like big mean words but but it'd be great if we could do that i think it'd be so so good if like there was a feedback loop between researcher practitioner kind of practitioner what kind of roles can be imagined to exist because depending on the nature of support you're providing you're addressing a different facet of a person's life what would it mean to support a person in their totality when they sort of says it takes a village to raise a person what would it look like for mental health care to be part of like that little well being village or however we want to talk about it yeah i mean exciting things would be like several more interdisciplinary journals or several more interdisciplinary like phd options from a research perspective but i know for a fact now that like there is still some hesitation surrounding interdisciplinarity in terms of applying for phds if i applied for a social science phd as opposed to a very hyper specific department funding is a more difficult case to make because whose expertise are you asking for funding in the context of and so and this ends up happening in mental health care as well which is that like are you a deaf sector professional what kind of company do you have we can give you money based on the kind of work you want to do and we can't fund this maybe we can fund that and that holds us back a little bit and i think i might not understand startups in their entirety but they seem to have figured out a way to do this whole thing that they let we'll bring in the intersection of innovation new ideas management problem solving tech and something else what would it mean for us to think about these things in this way because we do need to get on this and get on this quick so how do we restructure i think even the possibility of getting the money and the monetary resources to be able to scale and think about something like this the driving question for me at least because i think good work is happening and several projects are getting money but the venn diagram should be a circle and it's not right now so i think how do you move those flows or how, how like why are we sort of falling into that rat of life there's this running thing of like academicians and like researchers don't make good teachers necessarily that little thing right like then why are people doing such good work struggling to find the money to keep doing it why do these projects and these like these die out over time and sure we can be like we live in a post capitalist era yada, yada this is just late stage capitalism this is what it's going to look like but how do we exist under that then because that reality is not going to shift because they're aggressively willing it to like i'm not neo i can't just glare and make it happen what do i change there and i think that's been my questioning and hopes and imagination surrounding the future which is one there is a necessity so let's start with that instead of going oh i don't know if i want to do like we got to be doing it and second how do we think of ways of bringing this interdisciplinarity together in a way that 
monetary also supports everyone who's involved because curiosity and joy is great and i love it very very much but it doesn't pay my bills can't print out i promise there's a mind map and slide it under my landlord's door being like sorry this is my electricity bill this spark of ideas not going to work so yeah i think those two big questions and i apologize for sort of being a downer in that context and being like but the money but it does feel sometimes like a little bit but the money i feel like we need to talk about that we need to find ways to get that i'm just jumping on here because i strongly agree with you ashwarya we have to talk about the money because we unfortunately live in a world where money enables things right so when we're talking about access one of the key roadblocks and catalyst depending on which side you're on to that to accessibility is money we have the like, financial access plays such a huge role and we have to look at how we are sustainably having this conversation and sort of imagining reimagining learning and learning what practice looks like for us as professionals going forward one of my hopes perhaps as out as, as audacious or outrageous as it might sound is is probably a time where we are not necessarily having to prove our point or prove our case every time for some of these things to happen i know that in very small like spaces and silos some of this work is happening like i know that right now i've been part of a pg diploma program as part of an institute where we are looking at you know working with professionals mental health workers and we are bringing in a developmental lens into looking at working with children and adolescents and the general consensus of the entire cohort two cohorts so far has been this is new information for us we've never considered working with young people while bringing in a rights based lens a developmental lens a systemic lens and these are all professionals who've been in this industry in the mental health care industry for somewhere between 2 years to 20 years and that tells you something right about what's going on in the country right now and i also agree with you ashwarya is that we are not in a position to really think about or like to really debate about whether or not there is a need for this work statistically the treatment gap is appalling at this point in our country and it's screaming at us saying that there needs to be something happening and there needs to be mobilization of resources and in a country where our youth dividend is so high you would think that there wouldn't be dot of human resources when it comes to this work but unfortunately there is and i think part of it has to do with the discourse around mental health care work and the discourse around interdisciplinary work as well so i think the hope is that somewhere mainstream training capacity building begins to look different i agree with you ashwarya that at some point research and practice has to speak to each other more intensely and not in a oh i know better than you and no 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 i know better than you that assumed disconnect needs to sort of you know collapse at some point it needs to stop because i don't think it's it's true at all excitingly i think i saw this happen so sorry i'm interjecting but i think so that this yeah. happened with like science communication like symposium conference at a math institute where obviously when you're doing science communication you have journalists who are the writers and the comms people and you have scientists who are the researchers and driving the work that's being communicated there was so much tension in that room because both of them were deeply upset with each other the journalists were sort of like why are you not just making this more accessible to people and the scientists were like why are you misrepresenting what they're trying to say and then the journalists were like well why are you so inaccessible like why can't we reach you when we want to talk to you? and i think even just the first step to that would be having that space for that tension to physically exist in the room and just sort of talk about it you can throw shade at each other 
you can have opinions and sort of be like i am very upset with how this is navigating but but if you don't have that conversation you don't know why the other person or like why the other discipline broadly in this context i'm going to use that very loosely because i don't see them as necessarily separate disciplines but approaches or whatever why they have contentions with each other contentions can be valid but if the contentions are not communicated what is anyone supposed to do with anything right yeah. so even just like imagining that little symposium where a bunch of people are really mad at each other and having like a spiderman standoff of sorts <laughs> i'll take it as a beginning i'll take it i think it's yeah. a good start <laughs> i agree that i think it may begin with discomfort but that's still a start and i think it has to start from discomfort Yeah. Anything getting dismantled, I think, begins with discomfort. So I think that's necessary. I don't think it's impossible what we are imagining, what, what you are picturing, what I'm picturing. I don't think it's impossible. But I think, again, as communities, as, as individuals, I think becoming more and more comfortable with sitting with discomfort and tolerating it and listening to one another despite that discomfort can be a good place to start. for me i think i also hope to see more of just us acknowledging hey maybe we actually don't know which is surprisingly what's happening to a lot of research around neurodivergence in general right i think a lot of people are just saying hey you know what we actually don't know a lot of things and we're beginning to discover that so i think having that approach that hey maybe we don't know which means that yes it's scary and daunting to entertain the idea that we don't know so we're no longer experts we're no longer in control of the situation or whatever but that also then opens up possibilities of so we learn a different way and to see what that holds like in terms of possibilities all right thank you so much both of you